Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome back to Loved As You Are, an Ignatian podcast with me, Gretchen Crowder. In the last couple weeks since I published an episode, many things have been happening around the globe. Like the Vatican Synod, where a wide variety of people have come together to put into practice what it means to be a discerning, listening church. And like the war in Israel and Palestine that has caused and continues to cause much devastation, loss, and profound grief. There is a very short poem by Mary Oliver that has come to my mind again and again over the last couple weeks. It goes like this. We shake with joy. We shake with grief. What a time they have. These two housed as they are in the same body. I don't know about you, but I feel that way a little right now. Experiencing in real time the weaving together of joy and grief as I navigate the complexity of this world and as human beings that occupy it. Continuing to have and publish conversations about being loved as you are seems to me a helpful step on this complicated journey we are all taking as I continue to learn so much from the diversity of voices that give their time to share their stories and understanding of God with me and you. So today I bring you my conversation with Liz Aceves. Ignatian spirituality has been enriching Liz's spiritual journey since 2015. She has regularly contributed to Becky Eldridge's Inner Chapel community, Into the Deep blog series, and is now leading the Ignatian Ministries Spiritual Book Club. One of her greatest sources of joy and community is facilitating the Inner Chapel prayer group, surrounded by inspirational women. As a member of her parish's Ignatian ministry, Liz supports virtual and in-person retreats for anyone wanting to grow in their relationship with God. Liz is a passionate Catholic school educator with a decade of experience teaching Spanish. Her love for working with children and teaching them about their faith and language has been a constant source of inspiration. She believes learning new languages is essential to fostering acceptance and understanding among people of different cultures. Liz is a devoted wife and mother of two teenage boys who enjoys reading historical nonfiction novels, cooking, traveling, and hiking. I'm so glad you're here to take this journey alongside Liz and I as we wrestle with what it means to be loved as we are, no matter what. You won't want to miss a minute. So, here we go.
Welcome, Liz, to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're on with me today. I was thinking before uh, I logged on that I wasn't sure if we had ever met or had conversations. But then when I was looking at how you run the Inner Chapel community meetings, I think perhaps we were in a couple of those meetings together right at the beginning in the pandemic where Becky Eldridge was launching a new book and she started us into a prayerful community. And I remember being on some of those phone calls and I think we were on some of those phone calls together. And then I stopped showing up and you started running it. So <laughs> it's great that that still continues. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is, the Inner Chapel community? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having me, for your invitation. I'm really happy to be here. A little bit about Inner Chapel. As you said, Inner Chapel community started with the launch of uh, Becky's Eldridge uh, book. And yes, definitely, we did meet each other. <laughs> and we were together in some of those meetings on Fridays. And well, you know, it's interesting. This has been coming up a lot in the last few weeks the inner chapel and how three years later, we're still meeting. We were not ready once everything started opening up and we were sort of getting through the pandemic. A group of us, we were not ready to say goodbye. Friendships had been started and connections, the sense of community. And we learned how much we valued uh, praying together every Friday. And yes, we've continued to meet uh, to this day uh, on Fridays. And it's just been such an amazing experience to come together with these amazing women. We all take turns in leading prayer. And it's been such a great foundation for a spiritual journey together. I love the community that it's built among us. And our dream, I think I was talking to Becky about it, is we would love to have more of these prayer groups in the near future. The timing could be obviously a challenge because you and right working, going back to work and everything opening up, the timing might not work for everybody. But we're hoping that in the near future we could offer more prayer groups like this so we could, you know, come together and continue this journey. Mm -hmm. And what a wonderful opportunity to come together with people from all over the country, sometimes from other countries as well, to be able to have that conversation and see that the idea of who God is to you, you have some similarities in that, as well as differences that y'all can learn from. Definitely. It, you hit it right on the head, saying we're from across the country, from the world, and that it doesn't matter the distance, the time zones, because at the end of the day, we all have that same core value of our beliefs and our faith that brings us together. And we are like-minded women that were there to support each other and that the distance, the time difference does not matter. You know, we support each other through prayer. Sometimes you know, we'll text each other, can you talk? And yes, you know, what's going on? And that has been so special to to see how those friendships have developed. So when Becky decided, okay, it's time to have in-person retreats, and we were so grateful for that, we came together two years ago for the first time, and we were able to meet each other. And it was just, it's yeah, it's been wonderful. Total blessing. 
it's amazing how we meet each other first online these days right. before we meet each other in person. It's just kind of the way the world works, but yes. such a great opportunity to do so. And then in your bio that I read to the listeners before we you came on, I explained that you were also a Catholic educator, which is something else that we have in common. I've been in Catholic education my whole life, but teaching for the last 20 years. How long have you been a Catholic educator and what grades do you teach? So I uh, teach middle school, uh, fifth through eighth grade, and uh, I teach Spanish. A lot of times when I say I am a middle school Spanish teacher, I get this, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh my God, <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> and, you know, I I love that age group. Yes, it could be challenging. Absolutely. But they're just they're still, they're figuring things out and they need so much love and guidance. And they're so funny um, <laughs> and just so loving. My birthday just passed and I just, I felt so blessed. Like I, they made me feel so loved. I had a group of seventh grade girls, like five of them, they, they know I love bracelets and they made bracelets for me. And I had like seven bracelets and they're like super colorful. And I'm like, you know what? I'm wearing them all, right? <laughs> and for me, those are like God-given moments, right? Where we've learned through Ignatian spirituality that God is in everything, right? In everyone. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. This wrist full of bracelets, <laughs> it's that God-given moment, right? So I, uh, yeah, I find a lot of joy in uh, in teaching as well as it could be very challenging, as you know, but there's those moments where you're like, okay, this is why I'm here. Well, as a parent of a, a fifth grader, I appreciate you walking with uh, middle <laughs> schoolers at that time. And I have, you know, two on the horizon as well. So it's a great age and it's always good to have a wonderful group of support, not only at home, but also at school. So wonderful that you that you serve uh, students in that way. But I think that leads really well into our first question, because you were saying those bracelets, those uh, interactions with students where they show you God really introduces you and gives you gives you examples of God tangibly alive in the world. So who is God to you? And, and how did you come to that understanding? Many things, but I think the, the, the two things that come up for me are He's a companion and a healer for me. Companion, I feel like I, as I was growing up, I didn't know he was always there. But I was raised to believe that there's a God, that we need faith in our life. And as a young, you know, teenager, adult, you start reflecting back and thinking, you've always been there. You've always been my companion. You've always walked with me. And a healer, it's those challenging times in our life where he's just ready to love us and restore us from whatever challenge we are facing in our life. I feel now at this time in my life that I am truly understanding the term we're not alone and learning so much through Ignatian spirituality and, and the teachings of St. Ignatius and the importance of prayer that it has allowed me to, to see that uh, and, and to truly now not only understand it intellectually, but to make the connection in my heart that 
yes, we're never alone. And you are always here ready to heal me, to love me, is what has kept me grounded in those challenging times in my life and, and grateful as well um, as you come through them and you're on the other side, yeah. right? Yeah. Perhaps you you just answered this by that idea of God never leaving us alone. But how does your image of God fit with this idea of being loved as we are, no matter what? You know, that had always been a very challenging concept to understand, to truly believe it in my core. Intellectually, I said, yes, my faith, yes, that is very true. But in my heart, I wasn't really feeling it. And I wanted to feel it. So I started doing the exercises to answer your question, the spiritual uh, exercises. um, And I'm in the second week, the end of the second week of the spiritual exercises. And I feel like I am finally at a point in my life where I'm like, oh, I get it. I, I am truly starting to get it. That you love me just as I am, with all my past mistakes, with all my failures, my insecurities. You see me and you love me. And that, I think, has been, and I understand now how when people would talk about, oh, I've done the spiritual exercises, they're life-changing, it's so amazing. And, And I remember... You know, as I started getting introduced to Ignition Spirituality and learning so much about it, and I would hear people share and talk about it, and it just seemed like such a huge commitment. And I'm like, I don't have time for this, especially (laughs) when I first started hearing about them. I was, my kids, gosh, they were young. They were still in elementary school. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. And I remember recently, probably about a year ago or so, uh, my uh, friend Marianne said, Liz, the spiritual exercises will find you. And I never forgot that. I said, okay, it'll be in God's time. And definitely, that's exactly how it happened. But now I get it. Yes, it's definitely life-changing and starting to truly build that relationship with Christ and learning who he is. Yeah, it's been for me, I feel like it's been really life changing because I always felt when I thought of Jesus, he was so unattainable, right? To follow his example. But our goal is to try our very best to do so, not to be perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, I like how you said that the spiritual exercises find you and it's the right time when you're ready to embark on them. But I also wonder if you found that now that you are embarking on them, that somehow they fit within the context of your busy life. Like what you're learning about yourself through the exercises is somehow fitting within the rest or even enhancing the rest of what you're doing throughout your day. Oh, absolutely. I find myself looking forward to to that prayer, that quiet time. Um, Every morning, the house is completely silent. I have my cup of tea, right? I'm like ready to go and have that time. It absolutely has grounded me. And especially right now, where I'm at at the end of the second week, which is the election, praying about what is my calling? How can I love and serve 
God in others? Absolutely, it does. It's no accident that I started the spiritual exercises when I did, because I am at a time in my life now where our oldest first year in college, our youngest junior in high school, I've been teaching for 12 years. So it's sort of that time like, okay, God, I I feel the winds of changing coming. Where are you calling me to? And I feel myself that's, that's where where I'm at right now, I feel that I'm being invited to lean in and do more. In my 40s, 30s, feel like I had this vision like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And everything's like lined up and check it off. And, and now I'm like, okay, it's not what I want, but it's what I'm being led to. Yeah. Right. Um, And that's definitely a a shift Mm -hmm. in my thinking. Yeah, it seems, you know, at the very beginning of the exercises, there's the first principle and foundation that invites us into Ignatian indifference. The idea that we aren't leaning really to one direction or the other, but we're waiting for God to lead us in one direction or another. And we're kind of okay either way. I found when I completed the exercises a couple of years ago, and I had tried three other times, uh, right? You just, you can try (laughs) and stop. You can get with the wrong spiritual (laughs) director and another wrong spiritual director and keep going. But eventually you find the right time. But I remember when I finished it, I felt like God was calling me to new things, but I wasn't certain what they were. But I also was ready to say, okay, just tell me what they are and and I'll do them. And I think there's sometimes a fear of, well, if I'm open to what God's calling me to, how big is that ask going to be? (laughs) And are we really ready to say yes when it when it comes? Yes. Oh, that is so true. I think that's where I feel I'm mad right now, where I'm like, do you really want me to go there? <laughs> you know, but then I'm like, well, okay, you know, don't let somebody else once told me, do not let your fears interfere, right, with God's work. And I'm like, okay, I just need to keep on trusting, right? And and praying for the grace of clarity and and trust knowing that he is leading me to where he wants me to be. Yeah. And if you go back to your who is God definition that you just gave us, Mm -hmm. you said, you know, God is my companion and is especially there in the most difficult of times. So, you know, sometimes when we're asked to do something that we feel is out of our abilities or we're uncomfortable with it, it's hard to remember that God's not just going to ask us to do it, but also God's going to be with us along the journey. Right. And if God's asking us to do something big, then God, you know, he has that built up graces to, to help us along with it. Um, Still scary though. I am with you there. (laughs) It is. Oh, for sure. It is. And, and I've learned so much in these past, I would say probably three years of truly understanding saying yes even though you're not sure you should be saying yes, but something in you right is pulling, well, no, you need to say yes. Yeah, it's that trust and that grace that we're given for sure. Well, and you said you just started the spiritual exercises, but you actually came to know Ignatian spirituality well before that. How did you first come to know Ignatian spirituality? How were you introduced to it? You know, it's interesting. 
it was a, probably about, I would say, 12 years ago or so, if not longer, a girlfriend of mine um, at our parish had just started the spiritual exercises. And she was going on and on and raving and how life-changing and how wonderful it was. And, and it seemed so attractive to me at that time, right? When my kids were so little and she was talking about she was going every Saturday to, you know, and it was all day. And I'm like, there's <laughs> no way that I will be able to do that as a young mom. But again, I was like, okay, it sounds all great, but I just can't right now. So I started working at um, Catholic school where I'm teaching. And as part of our uh, annual, you know, special development, we always go, which is awesome, religious congress at Anaheim in the convention center here in California. And I attended Becky Eldridge workshop where she talked about the examine. And she was teaching the attendings how to pray the examine and what it was and who Ignatius of Loyola was. And so that I say was my very first introduction to it. And I still actually have the postcard that Becky gave uh, at that workshop. And as she was walking us through it, I was like, wait, I pray kind of similar to this, but to be able to pray in gratitude and to be able to look at those moments of your day where you're like, oh, that was a God-given moment. And those challenging times where you're like, oh, I'm really struggling with this one. And now, okay, what do I need to learn from this, right? And then asking for the grace for the next day. And I prayed the examine for such a long time after, and I became so intrigued. Like I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about who Ignatius of Loyola was and his methods of praying. And yeah, I felt like that was my first invitation to knowing how to pray differently, learning about contemplative prayer, learning about what the Lexio Divina is and how to pray with scripture. And I almost feel like I, yeah, I just, I felt like a little kid. Like I just wanted to learn and learn and learn. <laughs> And then here I am. <laughs> yeah, I found that. Um, and I first learned about nation spirituality 17 years ago. But when I did, it felt like the kind of spirituality that spoke so well to my actual life and my actual experiences more than anything else that it applied almost instantly to my day where other spiritualities had been more like esoteric, more heady, more things that I had to go into, you know, a dark room and, and pray about. And of course there's prayer within Ignatian spirituality, but it's alive in your day as well. And that, that really spoke to me. Yeah, I think that I feel the same way. It just really resonated because you it, it allows you to stop, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Doesn't it? It allows you to pause before you respond, mm -hmm. right? It, it, I feel, especially in being it, like educators, I don't know how you feel um, when you have those challenging <laughs> moments in the day and you're like, okay, not the best situation, but what are you teaching mm -hmm. me? Right. Where before I wouldn't think that way. I would just get right into the being angry or upset or why is this happening to me? <laughs> um, it allows you to think differently. Yeah, it both invites you to say, what God are you trying to teach me in this moment? But also 
what in this moment is mine to observe about my own behaviors, my own actions, the own the things that I have said and done. And then what is it that I can let go of because that's kind of outside of my control. That's something that is kind of in somebody else's control, as well as like, what might that other person I'm interacting with, what might be going on in their lives while we're having this right. kind of interaction. So it really gives you all sides, yeah. you know, how to observe all sides of an interaction. And it really does. Cause I, I, I think back of how I was and, you know, we, we're still evolving and changing and growing, but I think in certain situations I would have acted differently, right. If I was still the same woman that I was, you know, say five years, 10 years, even a year ago. And so I'll tell you, there was like two days ago, I was talking to uh, our oldest and our youngest was there as well. And I'm asking him all these questions. He came home for the weekend and I'm like, oh, did you take care of this? Did you do this? And what about this? And I'm just bombarding him with questions. And he's like, yes, mom, I told you. Yeah, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. And I could see that he was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. So he leaves, he goes upstairs. Then our youngest looks at me and says, mom, he told you he's taking care of it. It's, he's, he's under a lot of pressure. You know, you don't need to be asking him so many questions. And the way he said it, he was so gentle, but he was firm. He was very respectful. It just stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, what a humbling moment as a parent. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. But back then, I don't think I would have reacted that way. You know, I, 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 I was like, okay, you're, you're right. Thank you, God, for, for allowing me to see that I am pushing him too much. He doesn't need more pressure. So for those moments, I'm very grateful. Yeah. And, and to be able to see God present in your youngest son and the words coming out of his mouth, mm-hmm. as opposed to just always thinking yeah. it's there you know, always think it's just that person being able to see some divine movement in conversations for sure is, is a blessing. I'm still working on finding the divine movement in my children from day to day, but they're really young. They'll get there. They come, trust me, they They come. They have their moments, but. Right. (laughs) They do. Is there a particular moment or story in your life where you can think of that this understanding of being loved as you are became real for you? Maybe it's something simple. Mm. Maybe it's something more complex. Everybody kind of has a different touch point. I think there, there, there are two that I could think of. And, and one of them takes me back. Gosh, I must've been, I think it was more about being loved Right. Uh, But not truly understanding, oh, being loved as I am, but just being loved. And it was probably I must have been eight or nine years old. And I had gone during the summer to go visit my grandmother in Mexico and very devout Catholic. She would take me to mass with her. She would like to sometimes just go into church and pray. And I remember this one day specifically, there was no mass. She just told me, let's go to church. And we had just gone to the market. I said, okay, so we go in. The church was practically empty. It was beautiful, just beautiful church. So I walk in and back then, 
she had bought me one of those mantillas to cover head, right? So she had it, I had it. And so we're walking in and she's sitting there at the pew and she's praying and praying. And I'm just sitting there watching. I'm looking around, looking at all the saints and the statues and everything. And I felt like, like I saw her kneeling and praying and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to do that too, <laughs> yeah. right? So I'm like sitting there and then I'm kneeling with her and I'm watching her pray. And so I started just thinking, okay, well, I'm going to pray too. And I felt so loved and taken care of in that moment, right? Um, and to this day, that's always a, a, a memory that I go to. And the second one, I think it was my grandmother from my mom's side. She struggled so much through different things in her life and she never lost her faith. And I learned so much from her that I felt like that always carried me. Like no matter how difficult things are, God loves me and I am being protected. It'll get fixed some way, somehow. I feel like those two, my, I, and it's interesting, like I just, in you asking that question, I feel like the women in my life that have given me that have been my grandmothers. I hadn't even realized it until you asked and I started thinking about it. Yeah, I, I like your first, well, I like both your stories, but I like your first story of, because it reminds me of the, warm, comforting uh, nature of a faith that is both cultural and generational. And that just deep abiding faith of your grandmother that was both informed by her, you know, her own family, but also her culture. Has that played a role in how you view your own faith? I mean, I know you're a Spanish teacher, so perhaps you bring it into that conversation with students? I do. I do. I feel for, for me, I, I was raised to have a great devotion to Our Lady mm -hmm. of Guadalupe, the mother of immigrants and both from, from my dad and my grandmother. I always feel like when I pray as a mother for our boys, I tend to always go to her. So culturally, she's she's very uh, important because you could Mexicans, Mexican Americans, as part of our culture, she is just there, like she's always at the center. And I feel like I've learned so much from from her example of saying yes, right? Yeah, culturally, it's it, it's very very and bonded, definitely. As part of being Catholic. Yeah. In an earlier episode with Kathy Powell, who we both know as well, um, we talked about Mary mm -hmm. and specifically the fact that Mary is kind of unique among the saints because she appears to people in, you know, in the skin color, in the culture, in the language mm -hmm. of whomever she's speaking to. And so there's so many different apparitions of Mary that are you know, Mary looking different because it's whoever she's um, encountering yes. at that moment, Mary speaking a different language because it's whatever language she's encountering at that moment. So it's a kind of a reminder that Jesus's mother is one of the most kind of approachable and like right there getting into the root of your experience uh, every time you encounter her. 
it it really is and it's it's something like when i'm praying so let's say i pray uh pray the uh hail mary i could only pray it in spanish i could pray it in english but with her i only pray it in spanish and i've taught my students right to pray in spanish but it's yeah it's just I, it almost feels unnatural for me to pray in english which is silly but that's how i connect with her is I, I always feel like I, I pray in Spanish when I'm Yeah, I mean, there's this, this deeper connection when it's in, in that language. I yes. There's a group of moms mm-hmm. that for, for many years would pray in our chapel and they would pray the rosary in Spanish. And they would always encounter me in the hallway on the way to the chapel and be like, are you going to join us today? I'd be like, no, no, I'm good. And then eventually they, they put <laughs> a um, pamphlet on my desk that was the rosary in Spanish. Cause yeah. I told them that, you know, I am from San yeah. Antonio, Texas. So like we had Spanish every year of our lives. I even took it in college, but there's always been this nervousness yeah. for me to really embrace, you know, speaking the language. And so one day I did go with them and it was just so beautiful until they told me I had the first decade. And I was like, okay, well, you're just diving me right into no. the deep end, but <laughs> just beautiful to see um, their unique devotion to the rosary, specifically in Spanish, as well as it was during Advent. So, yeah. you know, the devotion mm-hmm. to the nativity scene and everything. It was, it's just incredible whenever we can not only encounter our faith in our own culture and experience, but also when we can encounter it in other people's culture and experience as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. What do you do for yourself, for your children, maybe for your students? To help internalize this idea of our belovedness, um, how do I do it? I I feel plain to me the concept of belovedness. Like, what does that necessarily? Yeah. Mean? So, I mean, that's a good question. I, as in some cases, when I think of this concept of belovedness or being loved as you are, it's like a feeling rather than how do I. And do I really know what this means? Right. And maybe it's, I interview all these guests all the time. So I'm still learning what this means, but Henry now, and you know, he wrote an uh-huh. entire book called life of the beloved, but he also gave lectures when he was still alive about this idea that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And he would say that often we get distracted from our belovedness because we're thinking about, I am what I have I am what others think about me. I am what um, what I earn. I am, you know, my success and accolades, all of those things. Right. When all of that yes. is stripped away, he says, you know, what will you have left? Well, you're still going to be loved by God because that is right. foundational. Yes. Um, it is always true. There's two quotes that I really like whenever I'm thinking of our belovedness. One is from a Jesuit named Anthony DeMello, who says, behold the one beholding you and smiling. And and it mm. wasn't like that was it. There was, I mean, there was other words around it in the, you know, larger text, but I always was struck by that quote because there wasn't any like, behold the one beholding you and smiling because you got an A or because you are, you know, saying yes yeah. to whatever God says, yeah. or a doctor. A doctor. Um, it's yeah. the one... <laughs> beholding you and smiling, even when your house is a mess, even when you've messed up a relationship, Mm -hmm. even when you're struggling with addiction, all of those things, 
God's not, the belovedness doesn't, doesn't go away. But I've always considered it to be, since Ignatian spirituality taught me this, but when I started writing and, and started a website on the front, I was like, okay, what am I writing about? And I started writing about this concept of being loved as I am, no matter what, because I don't think I always knew that. I wish I had known that. You said earlier in our conversation, I wish I had known some things earlier. What would I have done differently? I think if I had known I was loved no matter what, when I was a child, I would have lived more into who God was wanting me to be at that time. And that doesn't mean that people weren't telling me I was loved no matter what, but being able to hear it, being able to think about it and realizing that, yeah, there's nothing, there's no requirements of that love that God has for us. And I don't think that's necessarily the faith that I was taught in Catholic elementary school, because I think there was this kind of fear, you know, like, Make sure you do what you're supposed yeah, to do. Absolutely. And if you don't, or else, or God, or else, you know, will yes. um, be angry. Yes. God mm-hmm. will be sad. God, God will be disappointed in you. And the right. only way to fix that is to then yeah. start all over again or make reparations for it. And I think God is sad when we do things that break our relationship. But I always equate it that with then not loving me at that moment or not smiling at me in that moment, but like, yeah. So I don't know if that is a good explanation of belovedness, but that's what I've always leaned into. And I think I continue to need other people's thoughts and perspectives to further like define what that is. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, and thank you for the clarification. I, 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 it's so much easier, I think, as, as mothers, right, to love our children just as they are. Right. Like, you know, having two teenagers, messy or not messy or whatever. We love them no matter what. Right. And and being able to turn that around and say, okay, with all my brokenness and my fears and insecurities, you love me. And and what I have learned to do in these past few years is ground myself in prayer so I don't forget that. Because I will have those moments of weakness and doubt, right? But if I, at my core, am committed to my prayer life, and I know that's where I'm going to get my strength, right? Um, I used to run a lot in the past. Now I'm doing more hiking. I'm hoping that my <laughs> feet will cooperate. <laughs> Um, so I'm doing more hiking now, but in those moments, like, what do I do for myself is when I go on hikes, when I go on walks, I have that moment with God where I feel like, oh, you're with me and we're having this conversation and thank you so much for the beautiful trees and thank you so much for the beautiful blue sky. And I feel like that's where I've always found my centering. Remember years ago, people said, oh my God, you like, you run so much. Little did they know, right, well, right. that's my prayer time. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I feel like it's it's finding those those moments of stillness. Right. Um, That will feed us. Um, There's so much growth. When we decide to stop and be still and just listen. Um, And it's so difficult to do in our world right now because everything's right. Go, go, go. 
But it's so important, even if it's just five minutes, even if it's just one minute, right, where we're able to do that for ourselves is. Yeah, I I resonate with what you said. I ran for about 10 or 15 years, but I my brain is never quiet. I'm constantly go, go, go on the outside as well as the inside. And so doing some kind of physical fitness, you know, I do, do it differently now, but moving my body is a way for me to then quiet my brain and be able to kind of be more open to what God is trying to say to me in that moment. But one of the things that also I struggle with with belovedness is comparison to other people and their their achievements and their and you teach middle school so that's like the prime time for comparing yourselves to everybody else. Oh, <laughs> I remember yes. that very well. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. The yeah. stories, the stories. Yes, my office door is always open, and I feel so grateful that the kids trust me to come in. And so they call me Maestra, Maestra Seves. And the door opens, goes, Maestra, can I talk to you? And then either it'll be, you know, tears, or it'll be laughter, or it'll be, I need your help. Or, and I feel so blessed, right, to, that they trust me to be able to do that. But you're so right. It's such an age where at that age, they're comparing themselves so much. But we tend to do that, right? Uh, As well. Um, But I feel like through Ignatian, right, we're learning not to, right? And, and, And his way of teaching and prayer and looking inward and not outward, right? Yeah. It's definitely counter to just how the world works because we are ranking ourselves constantly, right? And we are both fighting for, you know, the same jobs, the same awards, the same accolades, all of those things, the same position higher on on whatever ladder. And so it's harder to have this countercultural thought of I'm only really competing with myself into who God is calling me to be and how I can best achieve that as opposed to, you know, can I be as good at this as somebody else? I think that's one of the things Ignatian spirituality really has taught me is that we're uniquely formed for a unique purpose. But I can't imagine it's easy to know that in fifth through eighth grade, no matter how you've been formed, you know, because that's when you're like, he's growing taller than me, or they have acne, they don't have acne, but I have acne, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I do. But those are the things that we start with. And then we carry, we carry those on for so long. And I I feel for, you know, my son's a fifth grader, and I, I can see that starting, well, I think it happened, started with him earlier, but that comparison or that not wanting to look stupid or not wanting to say something wrong, uh, you know, I, it's hard to combat against that because I, I do think a lot of what we take in is reinforcing that idea, but. It, and, and it's what you said, it's, it's uh, accepting, right. That we are uniquely made and, and we have a unique call, right. That nobody else can offer, but you or I or our kids or spouses, right? Um, And I've learned so much from our oldest son because he has always been true to who he is and never follow what others were doing, 
but followed what he wanted to do. And in middle school, trying to fit in, right? Okay, well, I'm really not into sports, but okay, I'll get into sports, right? And the vision is like, no, that's not who I am, right? And, and just to see him stand on his own two feet and say, no, this is what I'm interested. This is what I want to do. It might not be what everybody else is doing, but that's what I'm going to do. And I feel like as parents, we learn so much from our kids, right? Because even our youngest is the same way. It's like, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in going out and doing that. And I'm like, oh, well, if I was your age, I would have wanted to do that. But I guess it's not about me. It's about you. So I'm going to let you be. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's not easy for sure. Um, I mean, I've had those moments of insecurity. So it's like when I started being introduced to to Becky's ministry, where you, you speak and, you know, the other women about being spiritual directors or having this degree in theology or that or this. Or, I'm like, well, I not a spiritual director. Doesn't mean I might not be one one day, but I'm not. And I, I have a degree, but it's not in theology. And I don't have all this experience about, you know, Ignatian spirituality. So then the insecurities start hitting in. Like, I don't think I belong here. And because I go, well, absolutely, you belong here. Right. And it's like, no, that's not from God. You know, stay the course. You're here for a reason. And I'm so glad that I didn't listen to those voices. <laughs> Because I look back and I'm like, we wouldn't have the inner chapel community, or maybe it would have still happened, but maybe it would have looked different, or I don't know, right? Yeah, no, I, it, it, I've learned so much about truly accepting what it means to accept your gifts and, and, and seeking what your calling is. I feel like it's been so important. Yeah, and a lot of the... Life whether they were Jesuits or just lay people who also work in Ignatian spirituality, a lot of individuals I've met who have been formed in Ignatian spirituality have taught me by their example that there's a place for everyone and there's an opportunity for everyone to serve. If they're being, you know, if they're really looking at who they are, what their unique gifts and talents are, what their unique call um, from God is, then there is enough space for everybody, right? And for everybody to do wonderful and incredible things. And in fact, God is hoping for that. But sometimes we get tripped up by wanting to all do the same incredible thing. And that's <laughs> yes. when this space becomes very <laughs> narrow, right? But yeah, I think one of the things also that Ignatian spirituality has taught me is that you can serve God as an accountant. You can serve God as a CEO, you can serve God as an airline pilot. It's just a matter of what you're doing with those gifts and talents and how you're serving God and how you're caring for other people within that. Like everything you do can be a ministry. It doesn't have to be separate from your your faith and your life don't have to be separate. And what a gift, right? That that we have and and that we've learned that. And I mean, it's still a journey, and you know, we're still walking the journey. But I feel it's it's so beautiful to to think that every single person we encounter, they are uniquely made, and they have something wonderful to give to this world. 
What do you think is particularly challenging and maybe for your middle schoolers, but maybe for yourself or um, others you encounter, what do you think makes it particularly challenging right now in 2023 for us to recognize being loved as we are? You know, there's such good things that social media provides, but it's also been something that I've seen that has been quite damaging, um, especially with middle schoolers and even adults. You know, we're always comparing ourselves to to others and what they have, what they look like, or there has to be a balance because being like, oh, social media is bad. No, social media is not bad, but it's what we choose to to look at, right? What we choose to to follow. And um, I feel like that definitely has been a challenge um, for kids, especially uh, teenage girls. I feel like they're constantly comparing themselves physically, you know, am I tall enough? Am I thin enough? Oh, you know, I can't wear these shorts or I shouldn't, you know, it's constantly. And it's like, you're beautiful. You have a beautiful smile. You have beautiful eyes. And, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard at that age to really accept that compliment. Oh, I have beautiful eyes. Well, you know, I want to be skinnier. I want to be taller. Right. But I think a lot of it definitely has to do with what they're constantly looking at at that screen, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I went to an all-girls high school. I think I graduated with like 114 girls. So I had 113 girls to compare myself to. And and I know that I did that in classes. Like, oh, they said something more intelligent than I did or you know, they seem to wear, I didn't know how to wear makeup in high school. You wear makeup really well. I don't even know how you learned that. But to have millions of girls to compare myself to, I I don't know, that might have been good because I could find people like me in different ways and feel like I wasn't or I could see the variety of body types and, and, and looks and intellectual abilities was much wider than even the girls I went to school with, but I don't know. Yeah. If I, I could also see that it would increase that comparison and it wouldn't just happen while I was at school, then I would have it at home to do as well. Is there any way that you seek to teach your middle schoolers about social media or about encountering, um, like that larger community? Is there, I mean, I imagine in a class that's a Spanish class, you think a little globally, I think, yeah, I think the way I do it, because I am a Spanish teacher, I always love to expose um, my students to the culture of Spanish speaking countries, right? And and allowing them to see real, say, television commercials or little snippets of a movie, right? Where like, look, these kids are just like you, right? The culture is different. But I feel like them allowing them to see how similar they are right to others and allowing them to learn about other cultures opens up their mindset and and they become they're more accepting of others i feel like it's it's been important for me to do that and and i'm hoping that as they leave middle school that they will take that with them like knowing like oh okay, we are different, but not so much, right? We might speak a different language. We might, you know, look physically a little bit different. 
but at the end, we are pretty similar. Teenagers in Spain or in Argentina pretty much have the same interests as the interests, right, of our teenagers in our country. Teaching Spanish has allowed me to introduce to our students acceptance of others through them learning how to speak the language, from them learning about the culture, from them even learning how to pray in Spanish, right? A few years ago, I took a group of, um, and I've done this a few times, to Costa Rica. And one of the towns we were at, there was a church close by the hotel where we were staying. And I said, we're going to go to mass. And they're like, but we're not going to understand everything. It's okay. It's okay if you don't understand everything, but you know what? We're going to go because regardless if it's, if it's uh, English or Spanish or French or Italian, it's one God. It's okay. We will be there. And so we went. And as soon as the Our Father and Hail Mary came up, they <laughs> were praying it so yeah. loud. <laughs> and they were so happy. Yeah. So it's those moments, right, that yeah. I feel like, see, you're making a connection. Yeah. And of course, remembering that the Mass is the same Mass. I mean, it is and it isn't because obviously there are different things that cultures introduce into mass, but you will find the same routine and the same, you know, rites right. being done, um, at least in yes. the in the Western world. And so you get to go and right. sit in whatever language and, and kind of have a familiarity of what's going on. And also you said, you know, we can see our similarities. We probably have some similar interests. Um, I'm sure your students can also see that you probably have, they had probably have some similar insecurities as well. You know, whether you're a middle schooler in Spain or Argentina or Mexico or here, you, you have all those same things kind of coming up for you, which does highlight one of the importance, importances of our belovedness is that we're not only supposed to recognize that we are loved as we are, but that every human being is loved as they are as well. Even those that we aren't familiar with, even those that maybe we don't agree with, whatever it is, like God did create them for some unique purpose, right? Liz, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I am so glad that we were able to have it. I'm sure it will not be our last conversation, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you for all the work that you do with the Inner Chapel community and as a part of Ignatian Ministries, where I think you said you're le leading a book club in the new Ignatian Ministries. Yes. Yeah, so coming up, uh, we are going to be launching our first spiritual book club as part of the Ignatian, uh, Ignatian Spirituality Ministries. And um, it, our book is actually, we're going to start with A Friendship Like No Other, uh, which I'm very familiar with. And yeah, I'm very excited uh, to start launching that pretty soon in the next few, I think it's in two days, actually, as a matter of fact. So yeah, I'm I'm excited that we're getting people again, once again, from all across the country and you know, coming together and engaging in these meaningful conversations. And you also write for Into the Deep. So I will link to Ignatian Ministries uh, in the show notes so that people can not only access what you do, but some of my other wonderful guests who are a part of Ignatian Ministries as well. But thank you again so much for being on Thank you for the invitation. Today. And it was wonderful being with you. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Liz. I especially loved her very real and vulnerable question of what does belovedness really mean? I am finding that answer is a lifelong exploration for me. Do you think you or someone you know has a story about being loved as you are that would fit with this podcast? Please reach out to me and let me know by emailing me at lovedasyouarepod at gmail.com. I have another exciting guest coming your way soon. But for now, remember to be who you are because that's exactly who God wants you to be. into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.